Good evening. Welcome in. It's good to see everybody on this Wednesday night. And uh, we're going to be responsible with our time tonight as uh, weather rolls in. And who knows what that could bring. And uh, we know we have kids and students on campus and parents getting those kids home and all of that. So we'll pray for a safe evening and uh, we'll walk through the word here for a little while and then we'll be on our way. All right. Thank you for being here. Before we pray, I do want to give you uh, just a, a, a few announcements of coming up. Uh, Sunday, we'll start a new sermon series. That sermon series will go back to systems that we talked about, which is basically uh, where we see in the Word of God how God orders things about how they're to be done. And uh, we'll be looking at that again uh, this month in March as we just finished that um, series called Return to the Minor Prophets. And then uh, next Wednesday night, we'll be back in here for wonderful counseling. We'll actually open up the service next Wednesday night with Praise 56. They'll come over. The fifth and sixth graders will lead us in a few songs of worship. And then next weekend, I wanted to remind um, any of the uh, parents in here with the students and the student ministry that D-Now is the weekend of the 10th and 11th, and the last day to sign up for that is Sunday uh, actually, this Sunday. So we'd love for you to sign up with that uh, for that for your students before they leave or before uh, next weekend. And uh, I know a lot of things are going on. A lot of a lot of students have ball games and they've got all kinds of things going on. Uh, but just uh, have them come for as long as they can. It's a it's a super effective weekend in the life of the student ministry. And so I know they're look, getting ready for that. And Daniel and Mary Elizabeth are preparing and are prepared. So uh, let me pray for us, and uh, we're going to jump right in here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm. Uh, Psalm 119, or Romans, just wherever you'd like, just one of those, but, uh, but uh, Psalm 119 for sure. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll go for it. Lord, uh, I pray, Father, you would counsel with us tonight, and uh, Lord, would you speak to our hearts, or speak to our hearts, Lord, for those that we need to minister to. Whatever we need, Spirit of God, I pray that you guide us into all truth. Help us to communicate it well, and may your word be remembered. We thank you uh, again and again, Lord, for um, saving us and calling us, putting us together as a church family, and pray, God, we would continue to uh, work for your glory together, for your glory, Lord, and for the good of man here at Lindsay Lane. And uh, we do pray, Father, that uh, whatever need we have in our heart and life tonight, that you would uh, minister to us, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have, uh, we're going through this wonderful counseling series, and uh, just real quick so we can get right to it, we're trying to give uh, biblical answers for everyday questions, and I'll tell you how we got to this point tonight. Um, I, I had a conversation with someone recently, and, and I am, you know, I, I'm a preacher, I, I'm not so much a counselor. We have people here that are uh, gifted in counseling, trained in counseling, and, um, and so a, as a pastor, I have to do some of, of that myself, I have to counsel uh, and in a recent, recent counseling situation, I'll just share this with you. Um, I, I'm very bad about doing what I'm doing right now, which is just talking. And, uh, you know, trying to fix it and uh, preaching towards it and things like that. Uh, but at the end of sort of a, uh, addressing a certain situation, I said to the person across the table, uh, I hope I'm not talking too much. I get in these situations and I talk too much. Is anything I'm saying even connecting? And, and they said, no, what, what you said has actually given me hope. And I thought that I thought about that for the first time. I think in a long time, um, when for, for someone to say what you have just said has given me hope, which means what? It's going to help me through the next day or the next week until I need a word again, right? Uh, so that's important. 
And it's, it's important for us tonight, for those, if you've come in tonight and you think to yourself, I need hope, we need hope, we need to hear it and what's gonna help us. Or, or maybe you would think, I need to be able to give that to someone else, someone in my circle, someone in our family, in our church who needs a word of hope relative to something where do we start and, and how do we do that? Now, the, the answer is that if we ask the question, can you help me? I'm gonna tell you that I'm gonna be, it's gonna be very basic tonight, but, but it doesn't change the fact that it's very true when someone asks, can you give me hope? Because the first thing that will give someone hope is salvation. Salvation, being saved, being right with God, gives one hope, gives me hope that I am right with God and because I am right with God then everything else will be overseen by the God that I am in a right relationship with. So it, it seems very churchy, very um, all-encompassing just to say, if someone gets saved, their life's gonna change. But that's what's in the scripture. It's, it's new life. Now, I will say, if you are counseling with someone, you can lead off with this idea that, that salvation is essential to the hope of an individual. But I would caution you not to proceed straightforward. Like someone sits down with you and they share what's going on in their heart and life, and then you re automatically respond, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to get saved. Amen? You want to pray right now? You know? Um, which, that's, that's one approach. And it could be very well that the person that you are speaking with really does need to be changed by God. They need to be saved. They, they have despair, and in fact, they need salvation. But it also could be that the person that you are speaking with, and maybe you find yourself in this place tonight yourself, but they also may be saved. They just don't understand the hope that they actually have. They don't understand the hope that is there for the despair that is there. And so we're going to explain that tonight, why salvation gives hope, and then get to another point after that. But I, I didn't have Andrew put this on the screen, and this is my fault. If, you have a, if you're taking notes and you're a note taker like me, I, uh, I like to take notes when somebody's talking. This is a place to take a note on exactly what hope is. Hope, according to the scripture, is this. It's an attitude of confidence based on assured promises. All right, one more time. Hope is an attitude of confidence for, uh, based on the assured promises. Now, there, there's other definitions of hope. There are popular definitions of hope that go something like this. It's an optimistic wish that something good will happen. I'm just hoping something good will turn up, turn, turn out. And the first definition, an attitude of confidence based on assured promises. First definition has a basis of truth. The second definition, which is an optimistic wish that something good will happen, has a basis of feeling. Two different foundations in those definitions. You know, if, I, if I said to you, I, I hope my truck doesn't break down. And I hope it runs till I die until the, or till the Lord comes back. Like, that really is a hope of mine. It's an optimistic wish, uh, but I, I do hope that. But when I say that, I hope that my truck doesn't break down. What am I expressing? Am I expressing a confident attitude, or am I expressing a wishful feeling? Well, the difference between the two has to do with the object of my hope, Right? has to do with the object of my hope. If my basis for the confidence of my truck to keep running is a lifetime warranty guaranteed by the manufacturer with no restrictions, then I'm expressing confidence. However, if my hope is based on my heart's desire just for everything to go well, I just hope it don't break down. I just hope it, it stays together. Then what I'm doing is I'm expressing optimistic wishes which have no true base. That's no true foundation. 
So if you yourself are saying some of the following phrases, or maybe you're listening to people that are saying the following phrases, I keep telling myself something will work out. Or maybe they say things like, I, I, just, I just know it's going to get better. I just know it's going to get better. Or I have a feeling it's going to be fine. Well, what are you expressing? Are you expressing an optimistic wish or an attitude of confidence? And how do you know the difference? If hope is an attitude of confidence because of an assured promise, you have to ask this question. Who is making the promise? Let me think about it one more time. If hope is an attitude of confidence because of an assured promise, you have to ask the question, who is making the promise? Psalm chapter 62 Psalm 62, verses 5 through 7, get started this way. Let me, let me read through this. The Bible says, let all that I am, let, let the Bible just minister to you tonight. Can I say that for just a second? Sometimes we just need to read it and go home. You may not hear anything after this, but let the Bible minister to you tonight. Let God's Word talk to you. Let all that I am wait quietly before God. For my hope is in Him alone. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. God alone, the rock of my salvation. My victory and honor come from God alone. The Psalm of David says this, who I rely upon, who I am counting on, and watch this one, where I go for help, for all of what is unaccomplished and unseen is in him. For all of what I do not know about, but I'm concerned about, my hope for that to be all well is in Christ. David could live or did live with a, a quality of life. His life would not be characterized as absolute despair, even though when you seek the scriptures, you see his life in despair. And his life would, would be characterized as having quality. There was, there's no expectation of good because, or, or it was without any expectation or all expectation of bad because he certainly dealt with challenging feelings, but he was not living based on feelings. When you are in a place of despair, you are having a struggling time with living between faith and fact and feeling. And his life was not completely based on feelings. If we live based on feelings, we will at least be a roller coaster and at most be in the basement of despair. And David lived by faith. Your faith is what you are convinced of. Your hope is what you are confident in. Write that one down too. Your faith is what you are convinced of. Your hope is what you are confident in. Our faith, who we are convinced of, our faith is in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We are convinced of the existence of God, the involvement of God, the goodness of God, and the promise of God. So much so that our life is built upon it. And because we are convinced of who God is, we are confident for what is before us. This is our living hope. Convinced is our belief. Confident is our active confidence, is our active hope. So I guess what you have to ask when you are explaining how salvation leads to hope above despair, what you have to ask is, are you convinced? And I would ask you that tonight. Personally, are you convinced? Are you convinced that God is who he says he is? Are you convinced that God is good, that God is involved, that God is 
always in control. He is all-knowing that he works for his glory and for your good. Are you convinced that God is real? Are you convinced that you need God? Are you convinced that your sin separates you from God? Not your neighbor's sin, your sin. Are you convinced that your sin separates you from God and that Jesus is the way to be right with God now and forever? Are you convinced of those things? In other words, have you placed your faith in God through Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Why do you ask? What does, what does faith in Jesus have to do with hope? What does the convincing have to do with the confidence? I want you to notice the progression in Romans chapter 5. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. The Bible says, therefore, since we have been made right with God, or made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, now watch this part, and we confidently, which what word could you substitute there? With hope. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. When you have turned from your sins and turned to God by faith in Jesus, you are then assured of the promises of God as a child of God. And what is hope again? Hope is an attitude of confidence based on the assured promises. You have confidence for what you do not see and for what's coming because you know you are a child of God and children of God have the promises of God and God is never unfaithful to his promises. So you can rest in it. You can have hope. Confidence. Salvation means peace. It means promises to all who belong and live and believe in Jesus. This is why salvation gives hope. When you are right with God, you have the peace to know that God always takes care of his people. He always takes care of those who are his. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this. It goes on to say this. And this hope, this hope of salvation that is strengthened in trials, if we're appropriate to context, this hope will not lead to disappointment. Did you hear that? This hope that you have in God, that he is in control, that you are in Christ, that heaven awaits, this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So for those of you that are dealing with despair tonight, would it help you to know that God loves you according to the truth that we stand upon? Would it help you to know that God gives you his presence to fill our lives so that we will never feel alone? This is what, what is reassuring us tonight through the Scripture. And that brings us to the second, and the only, there's two points, so this is the second one. We're already the second one. The second point is this. While salvation gives us hope, the Scriptures give us hope. Church, you cannot let simple statements like that pass right on by you. The Word of God gives us hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Now, we're going to study this for a minute, so, so camp out here. Romans 15, verse 4 says, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. Now, we're about to back up here in just a second and see what those such things are. Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scripture gives us hope. Write it down, underline it. The Scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. The Bible gives us confidence that is based on the assurance of promises. 
that is based on us being right with God, and it gives us encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Well, this verse is written in the context of, of teaching to refrain from imposing your practices on people when the Bible doesn't require it. You're telling folks you need to do this in order to be a Christian when the Bible has not said that. And God's like, you need to back up off that. You need to let that go because that's you projecting the things that you hold dear when I did not write it down. And that's the context of this verse. If one believer has a sensitive conscience with one thing or another or another is young in the faith and they have held true to something that is biblical but that God has not endorsed, don't condemn them and don't look down on them. Instead, be sensitive to them. Is what the Bible is saying. Be sensitive to that. Don't be a stumbling block in how you handle it, how you respond to it. Help them to do what is right and build them up. That's the context of this scripture in Romans chapter 14 through chapter 15, verse 2. Well, what were these things in scripture? Because remember, the verse of verse 4 said, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. What were these things that were written in the scripture? Is the scripture supposed to encourage us and, and give us an encouragement towards our hope? The Bible says in chapter 15, verse 3, the verse that it speaks of is, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Now, when you study that, this verse, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. What does that mean? The rebellion of people in general, the insults of those who would reject God, people accountable to God, which is everybody, was laid upon the cross of Jesus Christ, have fallen on me. That's Jesus. So you would read it this way. The insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me, me being Jesus. Jesus was and is the supreme selfless sacrifice for sin. It is the supreme consideration for others that Jesus, the Son of God, would obey the Father's will to the point where he would give his life for those who would even reject him, for those who would spit upon his name, for those who would never believe. It is the ultimate selfless supreme sacrifice for sin. And that's what the Scripture teaches in Romans 14 and 15, even from long ago. So now knowing that, look again at Romans 15, 4. Such things, consideration for others to a supreme state, were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. And the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. God's Word teaches us, it encourages us, and it gives us hope for living as, the Bible says, we wait patiently for the eternal realities of the faith. There are things that we have not experienced yet because we are in the waiting room and have not been called yet. If you were here Sunday, we made the statement, there's a lot in this Bible about waiting. Amen? If you were to do your own study, you would know how much is there about an, an expectation that is to come or for what is to come. And we would do well to consider the waiting room dynamic of our lives. If you were at the doctor's office and you are sitting there waiting for someone to call you back, and then you observe someone else walk in, check in at the desk, and then they sit down for a few minutes. And after a few minutes, not with any frustration or anything on their face, they look at their watch and they're like, okay. And then they get up and walk out. If they get up and walk out, and just as they walk out, somebody and the nurse comes to the door, opens it, and says, Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, is Mr. Smith here? You would think to yourself, in their demeanor, what would you think? What are they doing? 
Why would they leave? They just, they didn't seem frustrated or anything like that. Why would they leave? You would think to yourself that they reached a conclusion that the waiting room was the end game. That the waiting room was all there was to fixing the problem. That the waiting room was exactly why they are there. They don't even know how this works is probably what we would, we would think. They think that the waiting room is what it's all about. This life is not a waiting room in the sense that we are just waiting around, staring at our phones, hoping to be fulfilled until eternity. It's a waiting room in the sense that this is not the final destination. This is not the reason that we're here. But they, we are here for God's glory. We exist for the glory of God. And in the waiting, we will experience the glory of God if we wait well all the way until eternity where the promises are fulfilled. But the waiting room is frustrating, isn't it? Some of you could give testimony to that today. I've been in the doctor's office five hours, man. Right? I, re I remember in the summer in the, in the ER, I was, I was sitting there waiting and waiting and writhing and waiting, pain and waiting, suffering and waiting, seriously, for hours and hours and hours. Like, that's, that's the way it was. It, it's frustrating. And how many of you have ever been in a waiting room wondering, have you forgotten about me? <laughs> if y'all forgot that I'm over here, do y'all know that I'm here? And I'm one of those people that think everybody's doing their job well and nobody's forgotten anybody and I'm going, I know they're gonna get to me, just be patient, you know? When I have to have people beside me that are like, well, you go up to the desk and just tell them you're about to die? How many of you have ever been in the waiting room wondering if they have forgotten all about you? So what do you do? You go to the desk or maybe a blessing happens and they call your name without you having to come up there and they give you a word of hope. They say something like this, I know we're backed up and we're gonna get to you. You're actually like second or third on the list. Great. Or maybe they call you out and they say that the doctor's had a, um, a, a surgery come in. It was an emergency he had to get to and it's put him behind, but we are certainly working diligently, right? Whenever you get that word, Whenever you get that word, even if you're frustrated that you still haven't been seen, it will appease you at least for the next few minutes. Won't it? Whenever you get that word that we haven't gotten to you yet, but we will, everything is gonna be good based on the truth of what I'm looking at here. It will give you hope, confidence towards another hour, towards another few minutes. When we were on the plane uh, leaving Dallas for Seattle and we sat on the plane for six hours, the captain comes over the loudspeaker and he's like, by the way, I look at John and I'm like, mission trips are doable, man. That was not, it's not a big deal. It's, you can totally do it. But when we were on the plane for six hours, the captain comes on and he's like, hey guys, uh, you know, good to see you. Thank you for flying whatever air it is with us. And, uh, you know, we're going to get you out of here in a few minutes. Oh, they're going to get us out in a few minutes. Okay, well, that turns into like two hours. And then he comes back on and there's, 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 there's ice in Houston and we're going to be de-icing. We're going to move now towards de-icing. Well, then two hours later after that, they're like, all right, we're now going to begin the de-icing process. And I'm like, you just said we were de-icing. But even in the frustration after they told us they were de-icing, but they weren't de-icing, and we don't even know what de-icing is, it still was like, all right, we're still going to move. We're still going to move. And how does that 
happen inside of us, it's because somebody has spoken a word of truth. Scripture is gonna give you the truth. Scripture shows us people in the past that didn't get it right, but gives us instruction from their lives so that we can get it right. Scripture also shows us people in the past that didn't get it right, but God's grace was available to them. Scripture shows us those who suffered, yet who practiced endurance, Lifelong, David had despair in his life. Some of that despair was his own doing. Some of that despair was not his own doing. But he lived and trusted and endured and influenced. Scripture gives us inspiration, consolation, motivation, consultation, direction that are ultimately from the heart of God. It's not written by a human author uninspired. The Spirit of God has inspired those pens by the heart of God. All of that gives us confidence for the future. It gives us hope based on the assurances of the promises of the one true God. Truth from the supreme authority. And the Bible brings our lives into focus. It helps us see clearly. You know, the thing I, I run into a, a good bit when talking with people that have despair is they, they tend to ignore, and this is not all-encompassing, but it's happened in my life as well. When you are speaking to someone who just seems like in a hopeless situation or someone that is in despair, it sometimes seems that they tend to overlook the base answers that they've always heard, yet they will never practice. Salvation gives hope. Yeah, I know that, but the Scripture gives hope. Yeah, I know, and I, I've got a Bible, well, use it. Because like, again, like I'm not trying to be super simple. I'm also not trying to throw out things and just say, you know, all you need to do now is, is just open your Bible and pray a couple times a day. You should be fine. I'm not saying that either. But what you can't do is you cannot factor out what God has said is powerful. You can't factor out that, that the same Bible that you learned about salvation is not enough to see you through difficult circumstances. The Bible brings our life into focus. Helps us see clearly. In front of us in recent years, what's been in front of us? If you think about it, if you could make a list, here's just a small list of the things we've seen in the last three or four years. Politics, pandemic, inflation, injustice, clashes with police, conflict within disagreement, unreliable leaders, fentanyl deaths, mass shootings, war in other countries, natural disasters. Well, that's just to get us started, Right? That's not even mentioning the things that are going on personal in your lives, in the lives of your own families, and the lives of your own homes. But it's enough to cause one in four, one in every four people in the United States in 2022 to say this, nothing makes me hopeful. So why is that? Because we just listed all those things. Because we are turning our attention off of the truth. And, and this doesn't even reflect, again, the cares of our heart that grip us personally. What, what are some of those? The, the hurt of loved ones, the uncertainty of the future, the unresolved issues that linger, the uncertainty of, of your family's future, the threat of death and suffering, the presence of death and suffering. These are also enough for us to say that I don't feel hopeful. It's all enough to overwhelm us, to drive us to despair, and even towards a dangerous level of hopelessness. But God's word says of itself in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 89 through 93. And I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes you just need to read the word of God fresh in you and let God's word speak to your heart. Psalm 119, 89 through 93. 
The Bible says in verse 89, your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Notice that, stands firm. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. Your regulations remain true to this day for everything serves your plans. If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, now you've got to watch this. If your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, the author of a biblical passage says, I would have died in my misery. I will never forget, verse 93, I will never forget your commandments, for by them you gave me life. By the truth of your word, you gave me life. When you drive, you gotta keep your eyes on what? Wow, really? When you drive, you gotta keep your eyes on what? The road. Thank the Lord. What was happening? <laughs> your phone. No, no. When you drive, you have to keep your eyes on what? The road. The road is where your car is designed to drive. Tracking? But what happens when you look off of the road? When you look off the road to the right, you begin to drift to the right. When you look off the road to the left, and not just a glancing look, but a long look, you begin to drift off in the direction that you are looking. And when you feel yourself start to navigate off of the road, in a panic most of the time, as your wheels are now hitting the side, what do you do? Your eyes navigate back where? Back to the road. Because that's where your car was designed to be. Even as I say this, we're not having car troubles at the moment. I've used two car references tonight with the truck and the car. But your car was designed to drive on the road. In all my life, y'all, in all my life, which again, you may say, well, that's not long. In 40 years, I've never seen so many people looking at everything except the road. And I don't mean that literally. I mean it figuratively. That everybody, everybody seems at the forefront of their mind not to be on spiritual things, but physical things. Things that are going on in our country and in our world and things that are rumors and things that may or may not be true. Things that are entertaining but don't bring any spiritual value. We're looking at everything but the road. And it causes drift towards what? Towards all those things. We can't have a spiritual conversation because all we can have is a political one. We can't have any conversations about things that, that matter. Now, we can have a conversation about ball because we study ball. But we can't talk about the Scriptures because our eyes are not that way. The, the, the psalmist found that what was needed to sustain his very life was in God's law. You see, that's what happens, though, when, when we look off the road and we begin to drift towards where we are looking, which is everywhere but straight, it, it takes us getting down in the ditch before we actually look back to the road again. And thank God for the ditch sometimes, y'all. It's hard to even say that, and I don't even pray it for my own life. But it's refining. The psalmist found that what was needed for his life to be sustained was the word of God. One author said, we do not go to the Bible to escape the realities of life, but to be strengthened to face life and to serve God effectively. God's word has the power to hold one together. It has the power to sustain life because it is this truth of God that stands firm when we waver. It is the truth of God that is settled when we are unsettled. 
I've often said this. You may think, well, how often do we need to read our Bible? Well, how often do you need it? Sometimes in, in our lives, that may be every waking moment. We may need to put it on the refrigerator, all around the walls, on the dashboard of our cars, because we can't go too far without our mind drifting away from the truth about what God has told us, not just about how to act, but about how to feel, about how to think, about how to see real life issues from spiritual perspectives. I want you to take note as we close verses 94 and 95. 94 and 95. Scripture says, I am yours. Rescue me, exclamation point. For I have worked hard at obeying your commandments. And though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. Notice that in verse 94 where it says, I have worked hard. In verse 95, I will quietly keep. The Spirit of God and the Word of God equips our lives for the glory of God, but we have to live. We must live. There is responsibility within our despair. The words worked hard, and in other translations, you may, your translation may read this way, sought out. It means to consult, to inquire, to beat a path, to, to read repeatedly. We've, we've been watching this show recently where the main character who deals with his own issues manages his life to do a very important job and to do it very well. But there's a segment of each episode where the main character sits down with his psychiatrist. Every single episode features this small block of time where he is sitting down with his psychiatrist. Every single one. It does not skip an episode. It shows him every single time consulting with someone who will tell him the truth. Every single time we turn it on. Someone who is helping him to keep his eyes on the road. That's not, that has nothing to do with psychiatry. Don't miss the main point. Because maybe you're here tonight struggling or you know someone that's struggling and you'd say, this is, this is not enough to help. And, and you would say, it's, this is good and I've heard these things before. I'm not saying that you should just read the Bible alone and that's all. And, and you factor out everything and you take two of those and call me in the morning. That's not what I'm saying. God has all kinds of resources at his disposal to help and to see people through certain situations. But what you cannot do is overlook the simplicity and the sincere power of what God's word is teaching in Psalm 119, which is when the psalmist said here, he used the word misery to, to describe his life. He's not telling you it wasn't that bad. You, we don't use the word miserable a lot, do we? And if we use it, it's usually in jest. Man, I ate till I was miserable. Well, that's kind of on you. I mean, like you, we, when we use misery, it's a state of, of terrible feeling. We can't hardly find ourselves getting out of it. It's despair. It's hopelessness. Well, again, God's word is showing you someone in the scripture that has gone through that and managed to live effectively. I think we just need to see it. And he said he regained his focus for his life. How? Again, what did the Bible say? 
for I have worked hard at obeying your commandments. And though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. He said he regained focus by his life. How? By repeatedly reading, by trusting and seeking, by pursuing and trusting, by reading and trusting. And this is not self-help. One leader said this, self-help does not solve spiritual problems. That's a good word. It's not self-help because you're not seeking to fix it yourself. You are seeking God to do something that only he can do and that only he can see you through. You are seeking the Lord to give you life when you feel like death. That's what you are seeking. So my encouragement to you as we close that may be an encouragement to you and an encouragement to somebody else, bring your misery to God and be honest and pray and read and attend and repeat. And go talk to someone that you can trust and go talk to them again. And seek godly counsel. And that doesn't mean that you have to pretend that everything is fine. You'd just be disingenuous then. You'd be lying about it. Don't pretend that everything is fine. It does mean, though, while you don't have to pretend that everything is fine, it does mean that what you can do, you must do. And it does mean what is true is true. Last word, final word, we're going to leave with this. I'm going to give you this quote. read this today. It said, real hope allows us to be honest about the struggle, but in that honesty to recognize that misery is not the last word. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for being here tonight. I do pray that God's word would take root in our lives. And uh, we always mention this as we're going through this series. If you need someone to talk to, uh, we have a team of people here that would love to help you towards the next step and maybe even help you towards a step after that. All right?